Good morning. What a nice looking congregation, I tell you. Um, so we're uh, still running our seminar in um, Coshocton on mental health. And a couple of the ladies who've been visiting wanted to know when we when our worship service was and sound like they wanted to join us for worship. And so we're very thankful for that. Um, so please keep, continue to keep that in your prayers. Um, we used your money to buy a case of great controversies, which is all sitting in the fellowship hall. You'll see a great big pile of boxes uh, with truth-filled literature. And... Um, and uh, I know you've gotten out all the other ones before, and, you know, we live in the Cleveland area, and it's our responsibility to give people an opportunity to learn about the truth for this time. Um, all the truth that people would need to know. It's got the gospel, the sanctuary, history, sacred history, last day events, um, pre- preparing people for the second coming of Christ. And this is why God raised us up to get out this kind of literature that no other church is going to get out that kind of book. And so we're very thankful that God has blessed us to be able to distribute this book by pallets. And uh, we just pray for every book. We want to pray over each one today that that book will prepare some precious soul for the soon return of Jesus. Well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we're just thankful that uh, we have this communion Sabbath um, it's a sacred high Sabbath as we contemplate the, the great gift of you giving your son. No greater gift could be given to the human family. And it's that one gift that allows us to have the opportunity for eternal life. And we do want to thank you, Father, for the gift of life and that promise of eternal life through your son. And we do thank you for all the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit wooing every human heart in this world to come to a saving knowledge of you. Thank you, Father, for all the lovely angels that go to and fro from heaven to earth to help suffering humanity. And, Father, we thank you for a worldwide church that we can all be a part of. We're thankful for all those who aren't amongst us as a church but are seekers of truth. And so, Father, we ask you continue to bless them. And for all those in our world that are not seeking for you, are not seeking God, not seeking truth, we pray for them as well. That something will happen in their life where they will seek truth and life. And we want to pray, especially for Mike this morning, as he'll likely, hopefully be released from the hospital. We just place him in your care. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our message today, as you see, um, it's called Character and Conflict. And the first thing I want to say about it is that the character that went through the most conflict was who? Was Jesus. And it was because of his character that he came here. Uh, I don't know of anybody who would choose a course that would wind up being crucified. But Jesus left the glories of heaven, and you and I don't know quite what that's like, but we will someday soon. But to leave that and to come here is a, is a sacrifice we don't know fully, 
But God wants us to know what that's like, at least in part. Because this is how character grows. Trials are not meant to discourage us. They are to prepare us. They share something with Jesus in common that no other intelligent being in the universe could share. We, as a fallen human race, have the opportunity to share it with the creator and redeemer of the universe, something that nobody else can share. And as we go through our wilderness journey here, you will face opposition more than you have so far. But remember that you share that with Christ in common, and that's a very special relationship you have with him that nobody else quite understands. And you'll have that that tie, that connection with Christ through eternity. In fact, in eternity, you receive your new bodies and you visit unfallen worlds. They'll want to hear your testimony. What was it like to adhere to truth and lose your job, if not being in prison or lose your life? What was it like? What got you through? That was the one who was the most courageous. I can't imagine what it would be like to become some animal like a squirrel or something, but Jesus is God, and he became a man. You imagine that kind of courage and know what would happen to you. And yet, he never thought twice. His mind was made up. He wanted to save us, and he wanted us to be with him for eternity. And it's as we go through conflict, too, that we'll learn more and more what that kind of love means. So let's do a little journey here on conflict and courage concerning us. Let's start with Christ-likeness and the new creation. The second Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in that verse, there's actually a couple thoughts that are very apparent. That the purpose of being in Christ is for what reason? That you'd be a new creature. That things won't be the same. You'll be a different person. Uh, And the purpose of becoming a new creature is that what? You're going to live a new life. All in that verse points out two very crucial foundational truths. That the purpose of Christ being in you is to be a new creature. And being a new creature is to live a new life. It's not the improvement of the old. But a new life in this fallen world where you will face conflict because of it. But you want that life more than anything else, no matter the conflict you'll face. Do you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Through conflict, the spiritual life is what? It's strengthened. Trials well-born will develop steadfastness of character and precious spiritual graces. The perfect fruit of faith, meekness, and love often matures best amid storms, storm clouds, and darkness. The Lord permits, he doesn't cause conflict for us, but he permits conflict to prepare the soul for peace. That almost seems like a contradiction, but in reality, we have peace with God as we face conflict by taking our stand for truth. If, if you, I remember I had just been baptized in the Seventh-day Amish Church, went for my first interview with a business that was to sell resort properties or whatever, and I told them, I just became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the biggest day to sell resort property was what? Was on Saturday. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't accept this job because I keep the Sabbath. 
Oh, no, you'd have, to, you'd have to work on Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. And you know, I had so much peace. When I got up and walked out, I felt the peace of heaven, even though some earthly possession was offered to me, so to speak. I felt peace, which was far more important than what they would have ever paid me. And I just thought, wow, you're challenged, you go through a trial, or there's a temptation there. But when you choose the right, there's peace in your heart. And you realize that the disciples, even when they were in prison, they were what? They were singing. Why were they singing? Because they were in jail for right or wrong. They were there for the right. They'd done nothing wrong. They presented the truth about him who's the prince of life. How could that ever be wrong? Wound up in prison because it was against Roman law to preach a different religion. And, uh, but they had so much peace and said, praise God, we're here in prison because of our faith in Christ. And as we get into the end of time and you realize you wind up in prison because of what? Your faith. The Sabbath. It's like, praise God, I'm here. Not because you're looking for it, but God will give you that peace because you made the right decision to honor God. And that's a peace that the world doesn't, has, has no concept of. The only people who would understand that kind of peace are people who take a stand and have this agreement with God. And that's what brings the peace, is always choosing the right. A religious experience is gained only through what? And that doesn't mean you can't read and be at peace and earn, you know, love. But it's when you go through that conflict and you made a choice. It's when you make a choice and it costs you something that it means that much more to you. Isn't that right? And through disappointment, through severe discipline of self, through earnest prayer. Precious quotes. But each test and trial is what? It's really a step. You know, in our culture, it's always about winning the Super Bowl or winning the World Series or winning the lottery. It's always some big thing. And we've got to think steps. That when I face a trial or temptation and I do what's honorable to God, it's not the end of the the race. It's just a step in the race. And you just keep adding these steps. Each trial is a step. It's not a mile. It's a step. And if we think in that terms that we advance one step at a time, every day we have an opportunity to draw closer to God. Amen. By steps. By steps. Do not see a conflict as a disaster. Often we do that. As soon as we're challenged with, oh, why is it this way? It shouldn't be that way. Everybody who's obedient should be easy street. And everybody who's disobedient, they should have all the problems. And this has plagued Asaph and everybody, you know, Throughout the Bible, why does it seem like the wicked prosper? It doesn't make sense. It seems like if you're obedient, everything should go your way. And if you're disobedient, it shouldn't go their way. But then, as it says in the Bible, like Asaph, when I considered the sanctuary, that helped me. Because... He started doubting a little bit, and he apparently in Psalm 73 was experiencing some physical ailment, too. 
Why am I sick and the wicked have all this fatness, so to speak? And then what he learned from this sanctuary, what was the what's going to happen in the end? What's going to happen in the end? Those who go through tests and trials for their faith are going to have eternal life. They're going to have a mansion in heaven. They're going to build a country home. They're going to be able to visit other planets. And what happens to those who don't choose to honor God? That's it. You know, they'll face a judgment, but that's it. This life is all they'll ever know. And you know something? God still loves them. And he allows his rain and his sunshine to fall upon them. God doesn't hate anybody. Jesus didn't come to condemn, only to love, which is why we're to love our enemies. We're just trying to help them learn how much God loves them. That's our job. It's not to condemn, but to try to draw people closer to Christ with every word. is kind and courteous just to draw people, to give them a better opportunity to understand there's something better than what this world can offer. And so when you face a contract or a conflict, it's not a disaster. It's like, oh, why is this happening to me? No, we need to look at it as if, you know, this is a step for me, and probably not just for me. That if I go through this conflict and take a step and be more loving and more forgiving, I'm a better person, but it helps other people to have a better chance of making better decisions. Okay? No truth does the Bible more clearly teach than this. What we do is a result of what we are. And so when you have a test or a trial, if you always try to avoid it, every decision you make, you're becoming that way. If we're like Israel, we just keep murmuring, I become a murmurer. But if I go through tests and trials and I see them as a step to go in the right direction, am I becoming a better person? More understanding, more forgiving, more trusting. See, step by step. Okay? Jesus was full of faith. Stephen, it says, was full of faith, but he didn't come full of faith in one day. Step by step, his faith grew. Okay? Now all these happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Because you and I are going to face a time of trouble is what? There's never been. Never been. God allows us to see the tests and trials of those who have gone before us. To encourage us. Stay strong. Don't give up. Look, look, at, look at Noah. He preached 120 years and how many people wind up on the ark? You're going to get discouraged, you go out and get Bible studies, you hand out great controversy, and it doesn't seem like anybody's grabbing it. Learn from Noah. Your responsibility isn't to convert them. Your responsibility is to feed, is to cooperate, is to sow seed. The harvest belongs to God. But we do whatever we can, the Holy Spirit uses to help water the seed and help with our kind acts and words to break up that hardness of their heart so the seed has a better chance to germinate and grow. That's all our responsibility is. But it's a weighty one. But you hand them out. I send out Bible studies to people and get through the voice of prophecy. Out of ten, I've got one that corresponds. What do I say? I'm not going to do this anymore. I've only got one out of ten. 
No, my responsibility is every time you get a name, you send it out. My responsibility is to pick and choose which one gets studies. Mine is to send out the studies and the Holy Spirit works on the heart. I'm not there when they're reading the studies. But the Holy Spirit is. And God's given them an opportunity to know truth. But if I were to base it all on percentages, I'd say, oh, this is kind of discouraging. But it's not. You've got one person right now who's interested. And that doesn't mean the others aren't. You know, maybe they don't know how to respond or what to do next, so to speak. The children of Israel at the Red Sea, I mean, that looked pretty daunting. Wow. And it's, it's like the, the mountains to the south, the desertous mountains to the west, the Red Sea to the east, and the Egyptians are right on your tail to the north. Right. You've never been a people of warfare. You don't even own a weapon. You've never really been organized as a people. Yeah, there was 12 sons, and you're kind of 12 tribes, but you've never been organized as 12 tribes. You don't even know who you are, and you've got the Egyptians coming right down after you. What do you do? You pray and you trust God. And, And Moses, remember Moses, when he first asked Moses to go talk to Pharaoh, it's like, I don't really talk that well. Could you, like, find somebody else for this job? But after all that, he stands before all the people who are, like, crying to him and complaining. Oh, would you bring us out out here to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that we all could have been buried there? I mean, what an attitude. But he stands there and he says, no. Behold the salvation of God. He will deliver you this day. What did he have anything to base on? Those plagues, right? But what a change in his own heart. And remember, in the end of time, a lot of our own people are going to be going like this. We can't buy and sell. What are we going to do? You need to be a Moses for your brothers and sisters. And say, no, you behold the glory of God. He will deliver you. You see? But you're not like that in a day. That God takes you through trials and conflicts to be that kind of leader in the end of time. You know, in the end of time, the leaders you see today aren't necessarily the leaders you're going to see in the end of time when we can't buy and sell. Some people are leaders because they get a paycheck. You take away the paychecks and you'll find out who the leaders are. And God in the end of time will pick his own leaders. And he's going to pick leaders who are courageous. They don't have a PhD, but they have faith in God. You see, but every trial you go through is preparing you to be a Moses for spiritual Israel in the end of time. And then we think about the three Hebrew worthies and Paul and chains. And you start thinking about all these uh, different heroes of the past. But I want to kind of conclude with what kind of thinking do we need? Character and conflict in the end of time. And one of them is to have a plan. Think of these words of Jesus. And he said unto them, his disciples, how is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I was about my father's business? You know, one of the best ways to prepare in developing your character and through difficult times that no doubt will come is we need to be busy 
doing the Father's business. Amen. One of the reasons we have a hard time going through trials is because we're not busy. Amen. We're not sure what we're supposed to do for God necessarily. Well, you know, we don't have a plan. What, what am I doing as far as God's vineyard out there? But I can assure you that if you pray that God will bring people in your life, and whether you're handing out literature or you're giving a Bible study or taking books door to door or whatever, when you have that kind of activity, thinking about your father's business, yes, not just your personal business, yes, you'll go through conflicts easier. <laughs> you see? Because we go through them knowing, you know, I still have a work to do for God. This is a conflict. This is a trial. But I still got to work for God. So I need to get through this as a worker for God. You see, if I wasn't doing any kind of work, then I'm just thinking about myself, which makes the problem seem bigger. Does that make sense? Think of some of these other verses. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Thinking about how Jesus thinks. And he went through more conflict than we'll ever go through, even collectively. Is because he knew who he was. He knew who his, what his work was. And he kept doing it every day. He kept moving forward doing the Father's will. And if we do that, we'll get through all our conflicts better too. Amen. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is a very important mental concept or right thinking. Uh, the goal of a pure mind. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. One of the easiest ways to get through conflict and tests and trials is to dedicate yourself that when a wrong thought comes to mind, you choose for it not to cleave to you. Just because it came to mind doesn't stick to your character. You can deny yourself of that thought. And if you continue to... Think that way to keep your mind pure. Are you going to go through trials better? Yes, sir. Absolutely, because you got the right mindset yes, for this. But if we're always kind of giving in and, you know, ups and downs and sin and repent, sin and repent, we're just not in the right frame of reference to get through trials. Amen. The goal of a pure mind makes overcoming temptation and trials a priority to succeed. Because you're attempting to succeed by your thoughts, when a trial comes, then you're thinking about what? Succeeding. See, every day we have thoughts. We have like 70,000 thoughts a day. Uh, most of them are thoughts we had the day before, like what I'm going to eat and you know things like that, driving your car. But you have the potential of gaining new thoughts, adding to your faith every day. And so with these 70,000 thoughts, if you choose to be successful in 70,000 thoughts, what's one trial? You see my point? That if you you choose to be successful with your thoughts, 70,000 of them, when a trial comes, you're going to choose to be successful with that too. Okay? You may not hear evil, but do not let it cleave. You know what they say? I... See no evil, speak no evil, right? You cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep the bird from building a nest in your hair, right? There's some things you can't control, but there are some things you can. And if you keep active for God and keep your mind pure, that doesn't mean we, we live in a sinful world. Does that mean we have to be sinful? No, we have the power of choice. And so that's going to help us get through 
um, the tests and trials. And then there's a, the focus. Whatever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah. And notice this statement. It's a beautiful statement. Lift him up, 366. A desire to glorify God should be to us the most powerful of all, all motives. If, if I wake up in the morning and I say, Father, I dedicate all of who I am, even my thoughts and my motives... Father, may my motives today do be to want to honor you in everything I do. Will that help me get through the day better? And I think a lot of times we kind of get, the devil gets us so busy, we wake up and we say, oh man, I'm going to be late for work and I've got to, you know, eat my breakfast, I've got to get out the door. And there was no time to consecrate ourselves to God for that day. And that's when the devil can easily take your day. But if you just get up a little earlier and say, you know, my first work is not breakfast. My first work is to get on my knees and to consecrate my mind and my motives and my whole self to God because he's worthy. And this is ultimately the kind of people he is waiting for. Okay? Let me just finish up here as we get... And I'll, I'll end with this. Because... What we're going to do after this sermon is foot washing. And that is what we call the, the ordinance of humility. It's what Jesus, just before they had the Lord's Supper, they, he washed their feet. But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The context of that verse is what? What's the context of that verse? That Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he... He humbled himself, even to the death of the cross. Christ humbled himself. And it's that, it's that, that mindset of humility. Humility is not, it's not even so much a perception of myself, though it is partly that. It's really my perception, my relationship to each one of you. You see, humility is not to see yourself as better than other people. We are a privileged people. To have the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But it doesn't make us a better people. Too much is given. Much is acquired or held accountable. We are a more privileged people for having the spirit of prophecy. To have the pioneers of our church go before us. We are a privileged people. And so, but we don't see ourselves as better. We, We have to see ourselves as Servants. Paul says, I've become a servant to to all, to everybody. And yet you could have hardly found a person more educated than Paul. Uh, Paul was probably the most self-sacrificing human being outside of Jesus. I don't know that for sure, but he's right up there. Here was a person who wasn't even willing to take money. And he made tents. He gave his whole life to ministry. He didn't even get married. He was willing to be shipwrecked. He was willing to be flogged. He gave his whole life for the benefit of the church. And here's a person who, we read in the spirit of prophecy, he would have lived longer, but not enough people were praying for him. If more would have prayed for Paul, he could have continued his ministry. And here is a person who gave his whole life 
to Christ and to the church and to think that not many were even praying for him when he's in prison is a tra- travesty. But it is an example for us to think about how do you go through trials? There is a wonderful book called The Life Sketches of Paul, written by Sister White. If we really want to know about conflict and courage, I want to encourage you to read that book. Get a copy of that book, because you'll see and read the life about an individual who went through more conflict than we'll know, except we're living in the end of time. We're going to see things in a more massive scale, not necessarily as an individual, but in a more massive scale, because this whole thing's going to go worldwide, right? And uh, it would be a very good, instructive book, uh, book for us to read. Let's read our last uh, comment here. In order to continually increase in spiritual intelligence and to become more and more efficient, you need to cultivate habits of usefulness and minor duties lying in your pathway. You must not wait for opportunities to do a great work, but seize the first chance to prove yourself faithful in that which is least. And you may thus work your way up from one position of trust to another. One of the best ways to face challenges is, as we talked earlier, take a step at a time. Just keep being faithful. Don't wait for some great big, you know, I remember knocking on doors and I asked this one guy to take this literature and if he wanted Bible say he says, no, I'm going to wait till God has me speak in tongues. And I thought, what? He's not going to give his life to Jesus. He doesn't want Bible studies until God does some manifestation through him. Right, right, right way of thinking or wrong? That's wrong. Be faithful in every opportunity God gives you. Don't look for the big things. Be faithful in all the small things. And when any of these things come, because we've been faithful in a little, we'll be faithful in much. It's the way we think. It's the way we live. Be faithful in your thoughts. Be faithful in the duties, no matter how small God gives you. And we'll be prepared for those greater challenges that lie ahead. God is preparing us. He is faithful. He wants us to succeed and be successful. Well, in the Adventist church, we do practice open communion, which means that even if you're not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church, if you've given your heart to Jesus and you've accepted Jesus, your personal Savior, you're able to participate with us in the Lord's Supper. And what we do prior to that is we separate. uh, The women will be with women and men will be with men. And we practice foot washing, the, the, the ordinance of humility, And on the way to the Lord's Supper, the the disciples are arguing what? Who's going to be the greatest? And they were not of the mindset that they would wash one another's feet. They would wait for somebody to wash their feet. And so the, the creator of the universe, the savior of mankind, stoops down and he washes the feet of every one of them. And when he did that, what did they not do anymore? They never, they never again argued who was the greatest. You know, sometimes you, you study with people, and it seems like it's taking months, if not years, to learn a certain truth. And when you give studies, sometimes people understand things just like that. Other things take a little longer. Jesus tried to teach his disciples about his kingdom. 
that it's not of this world. And they kept thinking, even up to his death, it's a temporal kingdom on earth. For over three years, he was trying to teach them the truth about his kingdom. It wasn't until after his death and resurrection that they, oh, I see, your kingdom's eternal. Okay. But you know, when it came to, to overcoming their desire to be number one, they overcame that way of thinking by Jesus doing one thing. He washed their feet. And so sometimes when you're with people, you can help them understand a truth, not by what you say, but by what you do. And they overcome something. So we have the opportunity now to divide uh, men and women in different... uh, Women are down on the other side, right? So we're all down in the fellowship room. And um, this is an opportunity to wash one another's feet and to pray with the person you're you're working with, to God to bless them and pray for them. And to let's learn the, the ordinance of humility because that's the right way to be thinking when it comes to facing life's trials. Well, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're very thankful that we can participate in something your own son established and started. Here we are 2,000 years later. And it is our desire to follow his example and washing one another's feet and then to partake of the communion service. Thank you, Father. And we know that we're to continue to do these things until Jesus is here. So, Father, bless us as we participate in these services. And we pray this all in his precious name.